to preach today. Lord, bless this man. Holy Spirit, talk through his lips and uh, keep the rabbit holes shallow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Louise and I, we both type fives. Hi, I'm Paul for the visitors and people who don't know me. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Um, Louise and I are both type five personalities, which means we love rabbit holes. We love seclusion and isolation. We like to be left alone to research and have all the answers. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I won't use all eight pages, but I have eight pages for cherry picking today. I'm so excited for my topic. The five types of Jesus. And uh, Christianity is the one faith that believes completely in all five types of Jesus. And who's my awesome gatekeeper, says to me, you can't really tell people to believe in the fifth Jesus. Because that's a bit like, ooh, new agey. There aren't five Jesus, there's one Jesus, but there are five characteristics of his humanity that I want to look at. Number one, Jesus born. Do you know how many people believe in Jesus born? If anyone's brave enough, you'll really be helping me today. If, if, and this happens. If there are people here who aren't saved or are atheists or who are academically or head ascension inclined, does anyone believe that Jesus, the historical figure, was never born? Okay, so we've got a good room. Okay? It's a good starting point for me. Prayers answered. Jesus born is believed in by pretty much everyone. And up until recently, the atheists were quite happy to say, yes, historically, Jesus was born, but he's not God. There is no God. You're talking about some guy a long time ago and far, far away. The Jesus of atheists and historians, however, is slowly being erased. I was disappointed to find that the American Atheist Organization have a long article with many reasons why not to believe in historical Jesus anymore. Interesting. This post-truth time that Alexander is telling us about. Modern, postmodern, inquiring, post-truth. Even though I tell you, Peter, I'm 40 years old, you tell me, no, bro, it's all relative. Like, you're not really 40 years old. You know, that your ID book says that, but I identify as 25. That is post-truth. That's post-truth. We have guys changing their ID books. Look it up. It's very interesting. A dude has managed to, because he can't get dates. Literally, he's 60. He's re-identified as 40. And gone to gym, is he like you? Are you re-identifying? <laughs> so we live in a world of post-truth. And the atheists have started going, mm, okay, what generations of atheists, historians, secular and religious have said about Jesus at least being born may not be true anymore. They say that Augustus and Tiberius have evidence for their existence because their profiles were minted into coins with their names inscripted on them. Now, as a Christian, thanks to Alexander's teaching series, we know Jesus was a common, humble man. Why on earth would he have a coin, a statue, an epitaph, a label, a building, a church, a cathedral, anything named after him? He was a humble, normal, common Jewish man, nothing to be looked upon, and he came and ministered and died. So why would he have this profound evidence that they're comparing with? It's not apples and apples. It's not fair. I think it's a little bit curious that one has to work very hard to erase Jesus. The planet believes at large that Jesus was at least born, and we are still fighting to erase Jesus. 
Josephus is one of our references that really points out that Jesus, the man, lived. Now, Josephus was a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, and he didn't particularly have any interest in talking about Jesus, the Messiah, because the Jewish nation does not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Yet, Josephus wrote a work called The Antiquities of the Jews in the Year 93. And he mentions Jesus, even mentions in wonder what a surprising man Jesus was. I'm going to quote from the citation I have. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who wrought surprising feats and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. So he taught people that were smart cookies, fishermen and academics and tax collectors and what have you in his first clan. They weren't hairy-fairy guys who were like, this Jesus guy seems like a good idea. Let's go with the hippie to a second location. They interrogated Jesus for the person he was, and they followed him. He was the Messiah, still quoting Josephus. Josephus, a rabbi, saying Jesus was the Messiah. When Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing amongst us, had condemned him to be crucified, those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection. Josephus saying that, okay, so all these guys were like, Jesus is the guy. And the moment he was condemned to be crucified, his A-team didn't back off. They were like, look, you're going to kill him, but he's still the Messiah, and he's still God. From Josephus, keep context in mind here. The tribe of Christians, so-called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. So that's 93. So that's what, 30, or six, six, my math is rubbish, 60-odd years after Jesus had died. The atheist article writer goes on to a pine an opinion that this writing is out of nature and character with Josephus and what a rabbi would write in time and context. So the atheist argument is, well, it doesn't sound like Josephus. It doesn't flow with the things that he would say. So it's probably interpolated. It's probably interjected. Somebody went and wrote that in afterwards. I'm like, if I told Peter, you're going to be my pick on monkey today. I'm so sorry. If I said, Peter, at dinner last week, I saw pigs fly. Like for real, with my own eyes, pig launched, grew wings, and flew. There's a high likelihood that Peter would say, oh, that's a bit weird, bro. Maybe don't tell other people about that. And for me, that makes more sense. If we are realists and we're human, Josephus is telling this incredible crazy thing, and then he's like, okay, not really being received very well. I'm just going to keep that over here. There's a level of common sense that easily dissolves the atheist's unfounded argument that Jesus was just never born. Nonetheless, Jesus was born. Okay, so we're going to do a little exercise through this morning. And bear with me, guys, who hate putting up your hands. You can raise a little finger or something. Laura's ready, I know. You believe that Jesus was born. We're not even on God or deity. Jesus was born. Just put up your hand. Cool. Number two, Jesus dead. The Jesus of the Muslims, the Jews, and the Baha'i, and the realists, it is quite well accepted that Jesus once moved past the Jesus of the atheists was Jesus who born and died. Judaism teaches Jesus was Mary's son. They even teach and have documented that her name was Mary. They teach that Jesus was a teacher. They even call him a rabbi. Not just a teacher, not a wise man. The Jewish nation recognizes Jesus as a rabbi. 
They recognize and document that Jesus had many disciples. I'm going to get these names wrong. Stick with me. Jesus had five disciples, according to their documentation, which is more than enough for the point. Matthai, Nakai, Niza, Bunai, and Toda. And they're probably rolling in their graves because they got it totally wrong. But it's documented by the Jews that Jesus lived, died, and had disciples. They document that Jesus was a miracle worker. However, their position is it was not by the power of God, that it was nefarious and wicked power. They actually believe that Jesus, though claiming to be the Messiah, which they don't believe, was still a wicked man operating in witchcraft and magic and peculiar things. Judaism believes that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. They did acknowledge Jesus made this claim publicly, documented. They believe Jesus was crucified on the cross, but they believe the body was stolen by the gardeners. And they have a whole document on this thing of how they went and found the gardener, and they said, you're going to get into trouble because the body's missing, which is going to cause the Christian nation to rise. You better bring us the body. And the gardener went down to under his cabbage patch, and he dug up the body of Jesus, and they dragged it back. And they proved Jesus was dead. Funny how there's no other documentation of that except rumor, but they have it documented. Jesus' followers reported he rose from the dead. Remember, these are not Christians. The Jews reported, yes, those guys say that Jesus rose from the dead, and they saw him. Eyewitness account. Well, the Jewish nation has always been great into genealogy and church history, so they wrote it down, even though they didn't believe it. God bless the Jews. Hinduism believes Jesus was a holy man. It's about the existence of Jesus, that he was a wise teacher, that Jesus is a God. Some Hindus are more willing to acknowledge Jesus as divine, if not ultimately divine. Buddhism teaches Jesus was an enlightened man, a wise teacher, and was a holy man. But all of these faiths believe that he lived and that he died. Okay, back to the exercise. Everybody who believes that Jesus died, hands up, stick with me, do this thing. Okay, cool. On to the third Jesus, Jesus risen. The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and the Baha'i, and to an extent, the Muslims. The Baha'i believes that Jesus came from God. Okay, messing with the words a bit. They describe Jesus as a manifestation of God. No. Jesus wasn't an embodiment of the Spirit of God that filled the capacity of a man and operated like a possessed creature. So they've, they've missed it, but they're on the right track. Jesus was born of a virgin. The Baha'i believe this. They have no reason to. It doesn't help their faith. Jesus spoke for God. Okay, we're getting back on track. He did speak for the Father. However, he was simultaneously the Trinity, the Father. In fact, the words of Jesus are considered to be the words of God. Jesus was crucified and resurrected as an atonement for humanity. Still the Baha'i, not the Christians. They also acknowledge that Jesus died on a cross and that his death and resurrection were offered to redeem fallen humanity. Sounding fantastic, no? Little asterisk, they believe in his spiritual resurrection. They believe that, yeah, 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 he was resurrected to be with the Father, but not in bodily form. His body died and, you know, became daisy food or worm food or whatever it is. Then we have the Christians. This is where the Christians really nail it. Christians speak of the resurrection of the dead, and I'm going to read the scripture for you. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? I'm going to ask a brave question again. I expect no responses, thanks to that dude spraying the doom and fake raising people from the dead. Who here does not believe it is possible to raise someone from the dead? And there's no black marks for this. Does anyone? Great. One, 
Seriously, this is a brave moment. Nobody gets black marks. Two, no, no resurrection of the dead. Okay, cool. This is for all of us because I don't believe that everybody's being honest because it's a difficult question. So thanks to the two brave people who put their hands up. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Let's come back to the humanity of Christ. He wasn't God in his humanity. He didn't raise himself. Alexander taught us, Gary taught us. He had no guarantee that God was going to raise him again. By faith, he died and was crucified. And he was like, Lord, you're my father and you wouldn't lie to me. But I don't quite know about this. If Jesus was not raised, none of us stand a chance. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. For whom he did not, whom did he, <laughs> whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Ah, oh, the Bible sometimes does this convoluted thing. If God didn't raise Jesus, he raised nobody. You're all wasting your time. If our hope is only in Jesus walking around, setting an example, giving us tasks, but he wasn't raised, if God's not going to raise the only person he ever promised to raise, we are dead. And that should be kind of terrifying to the point where you want to, maybe I need to actually figure out if I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. They say that Jesus was the first person risen from the dead. Okay, hands up if you've got an inkling of how that conflicts with previous scripture. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, doesn't work, hey? Because like, what about Lazarus? And what about those other oaks? Jesus is the first fruit of being raised to a first and second life. Lazarus was going to die again and come under judgment. Jesus was raised and raised again to never perish. And it's that second resurrection that we get now. It's not that we get raised in Hillbrow by a dude in a white suit screaming into a microphone. Even if that was real, if it was not by the power of Jesus, the second death would still come and that person would die again and it would be futile. We are raised to a second resurrection with Jesus. Oh, I love this stuff. Trying not to use all eight pages. Jesus ascended. Hands up, who believes that Jesus, after being raised from the dead, ascended? Yes, on a cloud, before the witnesses. Okay, cool. We've got a lot of company, I'm afraid. Still doesn't differentiate us. Islam teaches Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus was a prophet known as Isa. He was one of God's most important prophets. I hate to tell you, no points, no cigar. Jesus was a miracle worker. They believe that he performed many miracles, and they included the healing of a blind man and a leper. Okay, now we're back to historical Jesus, expression of grace and compassion and fruit. I'm healing you as a witness of God's goodness, not to entertain. Islam's doing well. Jesus ascended to heaven. What? Islam teaches that Jesus ascended to heaven, that Jesus will come 
Again, okay, well, that sounds like the whole package. Islam acknowledges Jesus will return in the future. The Hadith, a collection of sayings from Muhammad, describes the second coming of Jesus. It's class on nailing it. They maintain he will come back as a Muslim, as Umati, and he will restore Islam. Oh, we were so close. But the differentiation is good. Christianity, Acts 1, 6 to 11, speaks of the ascension. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Much like the Muslims. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and upon the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's the whole documentation. Thousands of pages, one little line. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I love this attitude. Like, guys, this is nothing special. Like, you've got your tasks because you just get on with it. I would be losing my mind if anybody from this community just stepped out the door up into the sky. I would. I'm sorry. Supernatural things like that. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. So one little scripture. All we've got is Acts 1, 6 to 11 that says hardly anything. And I think of it this way. Back to the flying pigs. Peter. Jesus was like right here. I know. I know. Just had coffee with him. No, no. Listen to me, dude. He was right here. And then he was saying like, I can't stay like this crazy dove-like thing's going to come and presence itself, and then you're going to have all these superpowers. And then in the middle of his sentence, he just, he turned into a cloud and he vanished. And Peter's like, <laughs> no, no, no. Seriously, don't tell anybody about that. And what more could I embellish? We have this amount of information because what more could I say about something so incredible as a man turning into a cloud and disappearing? What do you want me to do? Describe the cloud. It was white. It was fluffy. It was a cumulonimbus we have this succinct section of Scripture because there is not much to say. It was that incredible. It just was. Fifth Jesus. Ready with your hands? Who believes in Jesus returned, the Jesus that will come again? Okay, be brave on this one, and I'm happy to have hands down. Hands high if you do, and hands down if you don't. No issues. Okay, cool. So here's the thing. Here's the separating factor. None of the other faiths are bent on what is described as Jesus returned because it kind of threatens everything that is foundational to their faith. The true king. Imagine your faith being okay with Jesus coming back, but he's not going to restore Islam. He's not going to go to the Baha'i and say, Satanists and Christians and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are all equal. All paths lead to the same God. There is a true king coming back that is not going to agree with everyone. Is it really cheeky and sneaky that we, sitting in this room, think that we've got it right? Yes, but that is the scandal of the gospel. Jesus' words, not mine. Mark 13, 32. When is Jesus coming? It's a good question, hey, because in my entire lifetime, I haven't seen him. I'm pretty sure that my dad and my grandfather and all the way back to 33, what would it be? It's now the common era, A.D. for me, were the last people to see Jesus. 
No one knows that day or hour. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. That little thing you can speak to Gary about? I'm not going to touch that. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. Guys, I'm coming back just now. I just need to hop an Uber on this cloud. You with me? That's what happened. The man went on the journey. He went, I'm coming now. In fact, if he turned around and walked through a kitchen door and you never saw him again, you would have the same feeling of, but I was busy with that. Could you? He's gone on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, who are our servants? Woo, three people. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Rog. We are the servants left in charge of what? Alas. Each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Now, you can do what you want with the doorkeeper. The doorkeeper is Gary. The doorkeeper is me. The doorkeeper is your life group leader. The doorkeeper is you. The doorkeeper for your little kids is you. You're accountable for someone in this world, whether it's a friend that you're walking the journey with or your children or your husband or your wife or your family. The doorkeeper is you. And he's commanded the doorkeeper, stay awake. You know this apathy in Christianity where if we're not going to a conference or doing something incredible, we're kind of sitting around going to church from Sunday to Sunday hoping that our hope is in the right place. Am I the only one being vulnerable right now? Sometimes I sit there going, yes, I hope I've got it right because it can be really a waste of a lifetime if I've got it wrong. It's only me. I'm not editing that out. Okay, the nervous giggles give me enough of an indication. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. Man, if Gary walked through those doors now, I might, okay, hey, Gary. (laughs) Jesus comes back the way he left in a cloud. Suddenly, he's just like, hey, guys, so I know you were expecting something big, but I'm back. Gary, what have you been doing? Now, don't look at me. Like, what, what have you been, what, what? It's horrible, isn't it? It's horrible. And Jesus isn't a sadist. That's not the way it's going to be. But he's left us with work, and he is going to say, like, dude, I said I'd be back now. Yeah, but Lord the cloud, shh, what is that to do? What is that to you? Get on with following me. That's Jesus saying, what is that to you? Don't worry about the cloud. Don't worry about how I exited. I said I was going on a trip, on a journey, and now I'm back. Were you not listening? What have you been doing? You will not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening or at midnight... Please, Lord, no. Or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Now, this is the attentiveness of the Christian walk. This is the, the daily office. And what I say to you, I say to you all, stay awake. While Jesus is gone, our job is to stay awake, not woke. I love the millennials, and they write about many things, but being woke and understanding social issues is not nearly as important as being woke and awake to what Jesus is called. In fact, the two go hand in hand. If you are truly awake to what God is saying and leading you in your life, all of the wokeness will come about because there is a kingdom to advance on university campuses, and that was for free. Stay awake. Stay attentive. Why is Jesus taking so long? Because honestly, Scripture tells us that if Jesus comes now, now, today, my dad gets raised from the dead. He died last year for friends and people who don't know. And he was the best dad on earth. I don't care who your dad is, you lose. My dad gets raised from the dead now, 
to rule and reign with Jesus. And the scripture says, not my problem. So Jesus, come now. Like honestly, just pause the whole thing. Can you see the trajectory of South Africa? For the pessimist anyway. Lord, come now. 2 Peter 3, 8 to 9. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that the Lord sees one day as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Like, okay, cool, fine, so you're taking your time and it'll be a blink of an eye. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. So we measure slackness in our own way. Don't measure by your own standards of slackness, because God is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, if you just digest that a little, just think of the of the one, two, three people in your life that you really wish would find the Lord. So I've unfortunately got a long list because I have some crazy friends and some crazy family. And if Jesus rocked up right now and he said, that's the line, anybody who hasn't made the cut, you've had enough time, I would be bleak. And the scripture is telling us the reason Jesus is taking long is because he's giving everybody the very last possible opportunity. Do you know that that's not God's opinion? When he comes back, we don't get to go, yeah, but Lord, seriously, I had the guy right here. It was going to be three more minutes. He's discerned the heart of every man, and he already knew there wasn't a cat's chance in a thunderstorm of that person choosing God. And that is why God is taking long to return. How will Jesus return? Behold, he's coming in the clouds. Revelations 1.7. Every eye will see him, which is phenomenal. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of earth will wail on account of him. So imagine, I was speaking to Gary about this. This cooks my brain. Stick with me. Okay, I know I'm all over the place, but I'm doing pretty well for a five. Imagine being the person who crucifies Jesus. You've killed Jesus. You're the one who stuck the spear up in to check that he was bleeding, that his blood had separated, and that he was dead. And then like a week later, you're like, Yo, that guy was God. Lord, save me. Cool. So now you're part of the first fruits. So Jesus comes back and he goes, hey, Kevin, you remember when you in the side? Okay, now we're going to rule and we're going to judge angels. Are you good to go? Jesus is going to meet the resurrected persecutors who found him after the fact. How ridiculous is that for grace? I have one question. In that context, and that's about Judas. I don't know if Judas repented or came to salvation before he went and offed himself. But for everyone else, I trust that what happened on their day brought them their salvation. But imagine being that person who peered, hammered in a nail, smacked, pulled beard out, cat and nine tails, pulled out chunks of flesh, who cleaned the flagella and peeled Jesus' flesh out of the stones. And then you get saved, and you've got to face him one day. In grace, not in fear, King, Redeemer, I know I killed you, but. And that's why he's waiting so long. How will Jesus return? We've covered that. What should we be doing in the meantime? And I think this is what we struggle with. We talk about it so much, what we're meant to be doing in the meantime. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus, which means that we are supposed to, and I'm just going to quote scripture left, right, and center. We are supposed to do the thing that we put our hand to. So what are you doing now? Anything, studying, gardening, building, mining, dating, anything, anything. What, are, what have you put your hand to now where you can influence people for the kingdom. 
You cannot save anybody. God calls whom he calls. So let's put that over here. But you are somebody's opportunity. You are somebody's opportunity at work. If you are not the opportunity to meet God, you are at least an opportunity to extend the grace of God, that they feel the presence of God. In the meantime, we are supposed to have a seared conscience. New Testament. We are supposed to drive past that person who has asked us for the... I got in so much trouble for this. Did you guys watch my video where I said I'd went and given food and drink and what have you to a guy named John at the petrol station? So somebody shared it, and then some clown comes up self-righteously and says, yeah, but sometimes, you know, those guys just take advantage of you, hey, and, and we've got to be wise as serpents and evil as owls, and I don't know that scripture off by heart. But using scripture to justify against the nature of God. Ryan Matthews now and again has a nugget, and his nugget was, there's one thing you will never be judged for. You're going to rock up in heaven, and God's going to go, Kerry, you love too many people. That's rubbish. I didn't ask you to love that person. There is no script in the narrative, in the story of our lives in eternity where God goes, dude, you should have been wiser. Seriously, that guy has been working every single house on Cedar Road. You really should have been smarter. Showing them love? Wasted. There's no wasted love. Who here does not want to be loved? I dare you to put your hand up because you're going to get an awkward hug. We all desire for love. Sure, we have our boundaries and we have our, uh, our tactile and our expression, but we all deeply desire to be loved. What we're meant to be doing in the meantime is taking what is put to our hand and demonstrating the love of God. Nothing else. God says, stop judging each other. I'm not even talking about out there. We have issues no, but my position on LGBTQIA, you see, I know all the letters, hey? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, intersexual, asexual, querying. I've got them all. It's none of my business. Jesus says, what is that to you? Follow me. He admonishes us. He says, leave it. What would happen if you loved that person and they never changed like you, Paul? But they met me and they came to salvation. And then you let me show them the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit did the work. We are so busy judging the outside world. How the hell are they supposed to be attracted to the church? I don't want to come to the church if you're saying, wipe your feet at the door as an unbeliever. As a believer, guys, you wipe your feet. This is our home. As an unbeliever, you come in broken and we lead you to Jesus. And the great physician fixes you. That is our task, everyone. Nobody here today gets away with that. You might say, yeah, but you know, I've retired. I'm no longer really market relevant, so now I can't influence in the marketplace. That's very clever wording. Jesus is not really going to listen to one day. You say, what can you do? Can you coach? Can you mentor? Guys, be challenged. What can you do? What can you do? Because if you think now you're just a fricadel sitting on a couch... And waiting for Jesus to return, he's going to have some questions for you. And that shouldn't terrify you, but it should make you go, geez, I don't have the answers. So let me tell you what I chose. And maybe I'll edit this out of the preach because I hate putting me anywhere. What I chose, I worked for Microsoft for six years. 
Okay? I had everything. I had my BMW. I had my wifey. I had my little flat. I was buying guitars like I was a crack addict. And would keep asking, like, seriously, does this one do anything different? No, but it's number 12, and I like even numbers. At one point, I had 12 electric guitars. Why? And God called me from Microsoft, and he said, okay, what I'm going to do, sometimes God calls us out by taking us to the top. He says, I'm going to put you at the top of the ladder. I'm going to expedite this. So I came in at the bottom. I phoned Microsoft. I said, hi, I'm looking for a job. And they said, okay, see you on Monday. I'm sorry, what? I'm not exaggerating or embellishing. They called me in, gave me an interview, and then called me back for two weeks. So I figured, well, that makes sense because it was ridiculous to just offer me a job anyway. But I felt a prompting. I phoned back. I said, hi, Paul, the guy who came in two weeks ago and answered the strange questions about why is a manhole cover round? I'm going to leave that with you. That's amazing. I called back and I said, you haven't got back to me. When can I start? I asked them when I could start. And they said, cool, can you move? Where, I would have moved to Pretoria, but they asked if I could move to Joburg from Whitbank. Can you move cities next week? And I went, mom, dad, I'm done. Pack my bags, move to Pretoria, and that was it. My life began. There's a reason for this. So he quickly expedited my journey from an initial response team call center agent. Microsoft product support, Paul speaking, how can I help you? I was that guy. And I was flipping good at it. It took me years to stop answering the phone. Mom or brother calls. Microsoft products, Paul, Paul speak. Oh, how is? Oh, you do want help with the computer. <laughs> he moved me into the office support team. Then he moved me into the Windows support team. Then he moved me into the developer support team, the premier support team in South Africa. If you have a problem developing a piece of software at Standard Bank, you would phone us. We would write a hotfix and we would send it to you. And if it didn't solve the problem, an agent from the UK had already been dispatched on a plane to fly here to solve your problem. We were that level of incredible. And God said, okay, my boy, you've arrived now. You can take the bucks and sit on your bum and do hardly anything for the rest of your life and retire happy. Or I can call you to a thing I can't tell you about because you're a number five, and if I explain it to you, you're going to say no. And so he kicked me out of Microsoft into Eskom. And I landed up writing the load-shedding navigation software for getting lost in traffic when the traffic lights went out. And the Lord said, so this is the ultimate end. This feeling of dissatisfaction you have now of a piece of software that went in the bin. Did you guys ever get it? No. That is what the world has to offer you. And I started getting the hint, and I said to the Lord, I'm not working for the church. <laughs> and he didn't answer. But he gave me an encounter. Who gets encounters in the bathroom or the shower? Please, not alone. Thank you. One, two brave people. Standing in the bathroom, and he said, you need to go and tell Angie, you're going to work for me. You're going to work for the church. I'm like, okay, cool. All right. I've heard the voice of God, so I've got to really argue with that. Oh, no, wait. Shh. It's not going to go very well. I'm sorry. Say what now? And the Lord told me in the most tender, fatherly way, like a father sending their son off to war. I've got this for you, and you'll be okay but it's going to be bumpy. How many years ago was that now? 12. I don't know. Here's my mathematician. Seven in total. No, no, all of it. Ten and a half years. Ten and a half years ago. 
and God put me on this trajectory. After all the waffles, stay with me. It's meant that Ange and I have to plan everything around ministry, which we do gladly with happy hearts. doesn't mean that our flesh doesn't go, seriously, another Easter, another Christmas, another this, another missed that. Why can't we go? Now that you've ruined us, it's Karen for the recording, why can't we go riding on Sundays? Well, we can't because we have a responsibility to the community that we lead with Gary and Louise. God will call you to do work that at first will definitely seem like you are giving up everything. You will lose everything. And not everyone's called to work in the church, but you are called to work in your marketplace with a priority on the things of God and not a priority on your wallet. So what are we meant to be doing in the meantime? We're meant to be effective wherever we are for the kingdom's sake first. I've spoken to a couple of guys here. Um, I won't mention names, but one of the cool stories I heard was where and maybe this is more than one person's story, where you're at work and somebody is sick or they're cramping or they're freaked out or they're something and you just feel a prompting for a non-believer to go, can I pray for you? Can I just take you into the boardroom? And we just, I know you don't believe in it, but can I? That is you as an opportunity for a person. And of the five Jesus, four of them have happened. It's the same guy. The fifth one will come back and say, what were you doing. They get you amped, at least, kind of amped, or just depressed you and now need to do some happy worship songs. How are we to live like Jesus? I'm wrapping up now, guys. So the thing about Jesus' humanity, if you'll take away from this whole series, and for those who haven't heard the series, it's all on the website, it's all in the podcast, is that Jesus the historically accurate Jesus was Bronwyn, was Evan, was John, was Ellen, was whoever. Standard person who by his own conviction and faith believed he was called to be the Messiah. He didn't have a superpower. He didn't have an assurance. He had the assurance of his father and he had his faith. There were no guarantees. Are you prepared to live from today? I love putting pegs in the ground. When you leave today, are you prepared to live like actually the kingdom is real? And actually, I'm going to be awake from now on. And actually, when I leave here and go to Spur to have my burger, I am an opportunity. You're going to have burger. Burgers, 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 burgers. Double burger, half price. I am an opportunity to my waiter, to my waitress. I'm an opportunity to the tables around me. Why do we have to wait for somebody to put on a conference? before we're activated. Why can't we go, Jesus said, what is that to you? Follow me.